Hey, before we get started, we're excited to announce that The Cool Ship can now be found on Glass Onion Radio, which is a nifty little blue station on the internet. Go to glassonionradio.co for the schedule and let us know what you think. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Cool Ship Podcast, dedicated to beer lovers, home brewers, and professionals alike. With your hosts, Warren, the Professor Wilson, and Matt, Zigmeister Ziegler. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grab a beer and chill on the Cool Ship. Ship podcast. My name is Warren, and I'm here with uh, Matt. <laughs> did you forget your name? Yeah, I did. Nice. <laughs> a long friends. couple of weeks. Uh, welcome to our May episode. Uh, last episode, I think, was in April. We had uh, a good discussion. I don't think we got in too many fights there, Matt. Did we? Mm, nope. Um, I think maybe. Well, yeah, I think we did. Yeah. What Get was that? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. Oh, that yeah. happened. No, that happened. That wasn't that night. No, was it? no. that was maybe. No, I got the. Uh, I got the. Uh, Fuck you! I'll blow the shit up. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was, it wasn't uh, as good as I remember. <laughs> may, may, yeah, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a shitstorm as usual. So, welcome to the shitstorm. Um, <laughs> a lot has happened since last uh, podcast. Shitstorm. Last shitstorm. <laughs> We as a club, NJ Hops, hosted Skylands Region Taste of the Town Homebrew Competition. Um, and what a team of individuals to help out. Uh, we had a great success story. Uh, we were 100, 161 entries. And everybody pulled their own weight, and it went off without a hitch. Uh, we were able to get our awards out to most of those winners. And um, we were able to give them their scores almost immediately thereafter. I think it was a couple of days, which is really unheard of. If you ever enter a national competition or any other competition for that matter, your score seats, they don't come in until like weeks later. So I think we did that. Um, we, we killed on that aspect. And that was because of our uh, producer, uh, Carl Metz, Metzelar. Um, or is it Metzelars? Is it plural or is it not plural? Not plural. Not plural, but it you have too plural. many A's. He's multiple people. Too many fucking A's in your goddamn name. Too many A's in my name. Too many Z's in my name. Just call me shithead. Mets. We'll call you Mets. Oh, yeah. That's novel. <laughs> so, um, now you understand why everybody does. So we're, we're as our uh, producer said, a little subdued because we have a lot of information to go over today. Um, I hope to change that by drinking some really high and really good alcohol content beer. We had a lot of placers for NJ Hops. I think we had 15, the second most highest, um, which is awesome to see. I'm very happy for everyone that has placed. And uh, give kudos to uh, Peter Ortiz, who came in second overall with a cider. And that's not easy to do. When, you, when you're talking beer competition and you pull off second place overall with a cider, that's, uh, that's some things you're doing right there. And uh, congratulations. Match. Yep. Congratulations to Peter. 
Um, unfortunately, he will not be able to be here today um, because someone fucked up, and I'm going to throw him under the bus now. Um, we didn't get a notification out to him, but hopefully we'll have him on soon, um, and uh, we'll be able to talk to him about his award-winning cider and how he went about making it. Um, with that said, uh, we can take a little break right off the bat, get ready to hear some um, interesting tidbits about how competitions are run and what, what actually takes place in a competition. And then we're going to discuss with our winners here, we have about seven or eight of them, um, on what they expected and what they thought of the competition, and then more importantly, discuss their winning recipes and their products as they produce them. Um, but for now, I mean, that's it for me. Matt, do you have anything else before we go to break? Uh, Talk about Sigmeister. Oh, um, yes. Update on the brewery. <laughs> yeah, that thing. Nothing new in that aspect. I'm just opening up a brewery. Yeah, that's probably why I'm a little tired. No, um, fuck you. Because <laughs> I work for a living. Because I work for a living. <laughs> I have a job. After 28 years, you had to start at some point. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, we're uh, we're pushing forward. Um, we were really hoping to be open by Memorial Day weekend, but uh, a couple more delays with. Random pieces of equipment for boilers. Uh, so, with all uh, with all hope there. Explain that to me. Wood, How the fuck uh, did they come up and say, "Ah, oh, we got to make a manufacturer part for a boiler that's not made yet"? Yeah, there's so there's this condensate. I, I don't know. Should I get into detail on this? A little bit. Yeah, I just high level detail. How's that? Well, you talked about the plumber the last time. I said he'd be done in a week. Yeah. It's now a month later. Yeah. About that. <laughs> There's a condensate return off the boiler, and it's supposed to be a low-profile, specialty size. It needs to be manufactured from this person out over in Chicago because of whatever type of boiler it is, and nobody else makes it. So I could get from, like, this one person four weeks or this other guy ten days on a decent price. So I'm like, okay, let's go with that guy for ten days. Tell him specifically it's got to be in in ten days. Ten days was last Wednesday. So Friday comes along, that's the day it was supposed to be shipped, nothing's there. We call up, we're asking everybody, my project manager, the plumber, I'm the plumbing vacation. supply people, the, uh, the person, the plumbing supply person is talking to to actually get this thing manufactured. And it was like, talking to my project manager was like, oh yeah, I talked to the plumber, he said it's all good. I'm like, okay, well, all good doesn't include a tracking number, where's the tracking number? Oh, well, he said that uh, he can't get one right now, so I call up the plumber. He's like, yeah, well, my plumbing supply person's like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe we're, I think we're fine. It should be coming any day now. Well, any day now doesn't work. Let me call the plumbing supply person. So I talk directly to the plumbing supply person. The plumbing supply person gives me the number to the actual manufacturer. And the manufacturer said, oops, I never ordered it. <laughs> Welcome to uh, owning your own business. Yeah, so the person who messed up and didn't order it pretty much said, yeah, no, no, that's my bad. That's my bad. We're like, okay, well, you're bad. What can you do for us? Can you get this to us quicker? Can we like, well, and then all of a sudden he started getting like really angry like we were making fun of him or something. I don't really see how that was happening because I was just wanting this piece. And he was like, you know what? Technically under the Patriot Act, I don't even have to sell it to you. So I could just, you know, not do whatever. You could go find somebody else and up yours, buddy, and then hung up the phone on us. The Patriot Act? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he could find a way to finagle this this tank with a little pump and a float switch onto it into being a bomb. I don't know. Obviously, a terrorist device. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I don't know if he was just trying to finagle his way out of this conversation, make it feel like, you know, we're the bad people in this conversation somehow. But, uh, yeah, so we can't actually talk with him directly. My plumber is the only person that can talk to him because he doesn't answer our phone calls. Uh, but he said possibly by Friday it'll be done man being manufactured. 
and we asked for when is is Friday the actual date? And he says, "Well, I'll know by Thursday evening." And I'm like, "That's great." That helps a lot. So Memorial Day is kind of out of the question, uh, but hopefully the first week of June. Did you already, did you already <laughs> Let's shoot for that one? Did you already yeah. pay for this? Did to pay for this? Oh, did yeah. you already pay for it? Oh yeah. And he said he'd cancel. He'd cancel the order, and you know. Shit! By this time, you might can be able to get your other one in sooner. The other one, I haven't ordered the other one. <coughs> Four weeks. I don't know. That's freaking killing me, dude. Whatever. I'm anyway, not, I'm not laughing at you. That sucks. That really sucks. So hopefully uh, Friday it's done, and my dad can drive over and pick it up Monday morning from the shipping place, so that we don't have to wait till Wednesday on it, and then the plumber can be in and install it by the end of the week. I can possibly be brewing. Which would be a plus. Well, I hope it does. I hope it works out for you. And uh... please join, tune in to the June episode where Matt <laughs> talks about his mind. Yeah. The part is not here yet. Yeah. <laughs> the memorial episode of Matt because he's jumped off his building. <laughs> but no, no, seriously, I mean, uh, have has anyone who's here tonight been over to Matt's yet lately? I was there tonight a couple weeks ago. Yeah. No, you guys. A couple of weeks ago, we were there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like ready to go, and you're just sitting there with your thumb up your ass, waiting to brew. Yeah, I'm painting some walls. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's a it's a, it's a really cool looking place. Um, if you have a chance to come out to Hackstown, visit Zigmeister on Valentine Street. Can't miss it. Big huge signs in front. It says um, Brewing Company. You can't miss it. <laughs> right. Um, big parking lot. Did you get your? So you posted about rhizomes. You get those planted in. Uh, I have them over there, um, but I have I have to get 18 yards of dirt to plant all that, so I don't have it yet. Tick news. Yeah, but all their everybody's dirt's wet. They're like, I could drop off mud in your parking lot. I'm like, yeah. no, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, so you know you're on a permanent waiting pattern. Yep. <laughs> everything's like, we'll get it to you later. <laughs> you're just gonna mulch the grains. Yeah. <laughs> So next year, have rhizomes. I would just start firing at my pilot system. How many how many twenty gallon badges does it take to fill up a nine hundred gallon fermenter? Have a long day. All right, so before we go, uh, before we go, take a little break because I need to refill. Um, why don't we introduce everybody that's on the show very briefly and uh, say that you know where you live? I guess now I don't know what you want to say, but just <laughs> say your, your name. home address and maybe yeah. a phone list number. of your fears. Phone number, um, number. credit card number, list, list of your fears. Yeah. Um, and then uh, maybe we can make a skin suit out of you when, when the time comes. So um, I'll be looking for one of those. Just getting weird <laughs> we'll, we'll start. Yes. We'll start Sounds like a horror here. movie. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right, Go ahead. No, just introduce yourselves, <laughs> goddammit. Don't be afraid to talk into the microphone. Speak. Keith Mazina, NJ Hops member for about, what, two years? Two Three, years. four. Going on four, my friend. Don't tell Warren. Yeah. Tell the microphone. Um. <laughs> Also, tell me what you won with, Keith. Well, I placed first with a meat. Make love to the microphone, Keith. Okay. You can have distance, yeah, but thanks. just don't talk <laughs> I placed first in a, on my table with a mead uh, and pulled in two third-place ribbons with a Vienna lager and a blonde ale with some rye in it. Congratulations. Thank Bill, you. why don't you give yourself some uh, props? Yeah, my name is Bill Longcore, and uh, I entered uh, four beers and walked away with two awards, the second and the third. Third place on a uh, fest beer, and a second place on an a, uh, American coffee porter with honey. Now let me ask you, Bill. That that placed something else too. That was a big one, right? That was a very complex beer. That you entered that into something else too, did you not? 
I entered that into a couple of competitions over the, the past year, and um, it keeps getting better as it ages, I guess. It was really a little too robust up front, and as it's mellowed out, it's gotten, be- you know, more drinkable. I think that the flavors are really starting to come together now. Um, so I brewed that back in June last year, entered it in competition in September, and uh, took first worldwide in a beer swap, and then um, entered it again in December and took a first, and then took a best in show in February with it. So is is, is that a – we can get into this later on, but uh, hold that thought. I'm going to hold that thought. We're going to move on to the next table. Eric, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Eric Uvardi. I've been with NJ Hops for coming up on three years. I won third place with an American Pale Ale. Congratulations, buddy. Is that is that placed anywhere else, or is this your first competition? Uh, this is my first competition outside of the club, and I was very happy to come away with something. wasn't expecting it. That's awesome. Congrats, man. It's good to hear. I think Dave Lewin is uh, on, on a run right now. He'll be back in a second. But, Adam, go ahead and uh, give us a little bit about a, a rundown about your beers that you won with. So, I'm Adam Jarvis. I've been uh, with NJ Hops for about a year. been brewing for about four I won second place with the Vice Beer, and um, DJ and I won second place with the Goza. Tell me about your Vice Beer a little bit. Um, is it a traditional Vice Beer? Is it something that you know you you were out of the box with, or I just I kind of just winged it with that beer. I was brewing 50 gallons for my wedding, and I figured I needed something something uh, <laughs> I don't know light for people. And that took second, pretty- right? Yeah. And you constantly tell me that it was a bad beer. Yeah, it had too much sulfur smell. I, I asked I, Matt about it. I, I kept uh, purging it with CO2 to try, to try to blow off that sulfur. And it never got there, but I, I submitted it anyway in one second. <laughs> How many of the 50 gallons got drunk at your wedding? Like 30. What, uh, what was it? It was a good beer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get into this. Just keep in mind what, what, what they said as far as your... Score is concerned, and what your score was, etc. We'll get into that in a little while. Um, DJ. DJ, yes, absolutely. DJ, um, what was your thinking behind entering a goes? Uh, so my name is uh, DJ Gilanella. I've also been with Hops about a year and uh, <clears throat> been brewing for about four. Um, with the goes, I had one probably almost about two years ago now, and I was like, "This is awesome! I want to try to make this." And kind of, I brew. Adam and I uh, brew together and took some convincing to get him to try doing a uh, sour beer basically <laughs> so but it finally got him to come around and i was like we need to do this and so we finally did it and we got it in done just in uh, the nick of time for the competition and it came out awesome and uh, we took second it took a little uh little convincing to enter that didn't it you Not- guys were i mean when we first had this we were doing a sorting you guys were all part of the sorting of this competition and we'll get through that in a second um, but uh, the sorting, and you guys were here, and you're like, oh, we got the Goza, we got the Goza. And then Carl, I think Carl Weiss was the first one to say, hey, you got to enter this. And then I tasted it, and I hate, I'm sorry, but I hate's a strong word. I dislike most sours. And I tried it, and I thought it was one of, a very refreshing um, drink, and not salty at all in the least, but it had a little bit of a hint of salt. I thought it was a well-made beer. Um and I think you guys were like, yeah, so let's enter it. Was it that day that you guys decided? Yeah. I, I didn't think he was going to let us enter it. I just brought it because I wanted your opinion. <clears throat> Carl's just like, you got to enter this. So we can do that? So if, <laughs> yeah, if, if we didn't have um, enough, we had 161 entries. We were looking for 200. If we had 200 entries, I don't know if that would have been 
you know, a trigger point to say, yeah, we can let another one, or if we had like 205 entries, it would have been hard for us to decide whether or not to let that in. But mostly, um, I think for any kind of competition that you go to and you help out with, if you're there helping out, I think there's a leniency there um, amongst the people that are running it to allow stuff like that to happen, to encourage people to enter into competitions. It's really not for um, winning prizes uh, as much as for getting feedback to improve your process. Winning prizes is always nice, or winning a ribbon is always a good good thing. But getting feedback is, I think, the most important thing, and we can get into that. And, Matt, you're awful quiet. Um, I'm here talking myself to sleep here, boring myself. I mean, you... Coming from introducing a, people, I mean, I'm not going to jump in and be like, "Oh no, I know more about those people than they know about." Those well, people. you you tried. <laughs> were you were you able to try any of these beers afterwards? I mean, you were there. You you were uh, you, being a professional brewer and being in the realm of professionalness, and having just come off the world beer competition with uh, yet another uh, acclimate for night to end all dawns. Um, accolade. That's what I said, didn't it's I? Acclimate. Everybody knows that. The accolade with the Oh, the accolade of uh, so that I accoladed my, too much drink right now. But um, yeah, I mean, what's your take on that? Have you, did you try any of these beers from this competition? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I had some from our um, random box. After the competition, uh, but most of the beer that I probably got to try that actually knew what I was drinking because everything else was, you know, unlabeled at the time, uh, was from the best of show round. Um, yeah, uh, I think I tried Keith's um, mead. mead off that one because that one ended up on there. Uh, but it was, you know, if the judges weren't going to finish a cup, they hand it up and they you could just kind of pass it around to everybody else and they get to try whatever that was and. I gotta say, there were some fantastic beers coming off of there. Uh, I mean, would you agree that you're looking for more feedback than anything? Um, as far as entering for professionalism, yeah. So you enter in the CBC or the uh, um, the World Beer. I mean, I guess at that point, you're, it's kind of fifty-fifty. I mean, one of the big things you're looking for when you're <clears throat> trying to sell when you're a large brewery or a professional brewery trying to sell beer is to get another reason for people to look for you. So if you get a ribbon and you get uh, top place on something, it's something else you can you can tote and say, oh, you know, my beer took top, so come drink my beer as opposed to going to <laughs> trying somebody else's. But, I mean, the the information you get back from, from these places, I mean, they have some of the best judges go to these national and regional and, and worldwide competitions, and you get really fantastic feedback on there to help you out, move mm-hmm. stuff forward, I mean. There's things that you can't taste that they can taste, and I know you know how to fix a lot of things in a beer. So if they can pull out different flavors and they can tell me what's wrong with something or what their thoughts on why something is going haywire, then I may be able to make a better product in the long run out of it. So that's you know I'm not not just going in for a ribbon if I'm going in for a competition. Uh, the feedback is definitely important. All right, um, <clears throat> I'm going to get into that a little bit more. I want to really pick your brain on. That, that side of it, and then uh, we're going to get really in-depth into the beers that have won competition, uh, won ribbons, first, second, and third, and talk about the excitement behind it, 
um, what they thought, um, how nervous they were when they were at the competition, if they were nervous at all, uh, waiting for the results, knowing that you know you might have been placed in first place to go on to a, a best of show round. I know we have a couple of guys that were in first place in a couple of competitions. How exciting that is, how exciting it is to make it to the final round of the national competition if you're able to make it that far, um, and what this means for you as a brewer as far as where you want to go with this. Do you want to go even further and enter more competitions and have more um, accolades or figure out more of, of the beer uh, uh, that you're producing and try to hone in on that skill, uh, on that particular style? So uh, with that said, I'm going to take a break. I need a beer. Um, my beer is kind of flat. So um, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Now talking to our fellow homebrewers here at Homebrew University. Um, the first person I want to actually interview is the third place winner of the lighter loggers. And I say lighter loggers is because we had to combine entries uh, for our tables. Um, our third place winner is Bill Longcore, and he actually won with what is known as Fest Beer, it's Category Four B. Um, talk a little bit about that beer, Bill. So it's, uh, I call it October Festivus, because uh, I always, I don't know, naming the beer something stupid like that's half the fun, but um, it's a Oktoberfest style beer, but it's actually brewed with a, a German ale yeast instead of a, a lager yeast, and I just brew it at the minimum temperature for the ale, and uh, cold store it, try to keep it as clean as possible, just using a real clean ale yeast. Um, a lot of the comments I got back, and I've had it back before other places I've entered the beer, it's a little dark for style, but um, I tend to like darker Oktoberfest. I've been to Germany a couple of times, and they seem to drink some darker Oktoberfest than we see here. I think America's used to like a lighter version of the Oktoberfest, thanks to Sam Adams and, and places like that, and I like the darker ones, and usually cost me a few points, um, but I brew what I like, not what I'm worried about winning with, so... Well, that's an interesting question then. So, are you saying that the BJCP style guideline is not clear on, on what the SRM of the beer should be? Or you're saying you're getting dinged on color, but is it not clear in the, in the guidelines that it could be between, you know, X and Y? It shouldn't be amber. Um, should not have any amber hues. It should be uh, either pale or golden in color for a fest beer. They've changed the way that these fest beers think, according to the BJCP guidelines. Um, it used to be under what's known as um, Oktoberfest. Right. Um, they've actually split it up into like three different categories now. One's Fest Beer, uh, Oktoberfest, and, or I'm sorry, Fest Beer, Martzen, and the Hells. Um, the Fest Beer actually shouldn't be, uh, it's funny that you say you used ale yeast. It should be a lager yeast, mm -hmm. um, but you used an ale yeast. So at what temperature did you use, did you ferment at? So I used the, I really like the White Labs uh, German Kolsch hybrid yeast, and I find you can really get away with some cold fermentation temperature on that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I think they spec out the minimum on that's like 57 or 58, I think, if you read their paperwork. But I have actually had success. If you get a really good, strong starter, you get it started at room temperature, and I throw it in the fridge around 52 degrees, and it ferments out. Um, and that's what I do. And I get a, a lager-like profile from it with German ale yeast. Okay. Okay. Since 1990, the majority of the beer served at Oktoberfest in Munich has been the style that they describe in the BJCB guidelines, where it's dark or pale to golden color. Um, it used to be dark, mm-hmm. um, and people equate dark with bad, and so they try to lighten it up into more of a fest beer style, and um, it's closer to a Hell's. Uh, and Matt, you can attest to this. You've been over to Germany during yeah. during those times. Um, the the tankards you're drinking are gold in color, are they not? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely having a more of either a Hellas beer or a Fest beer. You're definitely not getting your Merzen style, which would be back in the day traditional for your Oktoberfest. Uh, so you're you're getting your golden color. I think the thing is, it's not necessarily people say dark beer and they associate dark beer with bad. No, they, dark they beer is associate heavy. dark heavy. beer as mm-hmm. heavier mm-hmm. or. Right. You know, not easy to drink. Not, yeah, heavier. And, and so, so lighter, lighter beers, colored beer is yeah. more poundable. Yeah. Uh, according to BJCB guidelines, they use that term. Believe poundable. Or not. They use poundable. poundable. Yes, more poundable. Um, so fest beer wow. used to be too heavy, <laughs> so they broke it down into this style now, which who traditionally the, since who the frat kids into the lighter. BJCB guidelines. I, and I still, you know, I still push the uh, ABV up there. This beer comes in pretty high. Um, it's actually just outside the guidelines. And uh, the color sits right at the top edge. See, it's um, funny that you should say that everything in any competition now is extreme. And what I'm taking from, away from competitions is if you want to be standoutable, if you want to be more recognizable to the judges, you have to actually move out of the guidelines a little bit um, in order to stand out. Um, that's just my point of view, but I'm sure others have a different kind of uh, point of view on that. What kind of malt did you use? Did you use Pilsner malt? Uh, no, two it's, malt? it's uh, I'm looking at it here now on my phone. It's uh, Munich and two row, um, Vienna malt and Victory malt. Um, I just like the you know the flavor. I tend to go back to the same ingredients and switch them up a little bit here and there depending on what. And you know, Munich and Victory malt are are probably two of my favorites to brew with. And Victory malt is a type of biscuit malt. It's going to impart a little biscuity flavor to it. Um, the Munich malt and the Vienna malt and the Pilsner malt are usually what's used in commercial brewing for Oktoberfest beer. Um, Victory is a little twist on it. I think that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, and it drives the color up too because that is a darker malt. So Mm -hmm. I end up pushing it. I end up, uh, it's around a 10.5 or 11 SRM. What kind of hops did you use for this? And Um, what was your schedule? I mean, did you... Bitter when I brew these, I, I only do one hopping for bitterness right at the 60-minute point. And I try to use as little hops as humanly possible, so I try to look for something really clean with a high alpha number. Um, so when I brew these beers, it'll change time to time depending on what's left over in the freezer. Um, typically, Magnum, Pearl. Uh, I've even thrown CTZ in there sometime. But I try to keep it under, you know, on a five-gallon batch, I try to keep it under half an ounce of hops. And this one... Did you use CTZ? Yeah, this had CTZ in it. Wow. So there's a little interesting tidbit about Bill 
uh, in that he is able to do his own gas chromatography. Or what? Uh, liquid, liquid gas. Right. He does chromatography <laughs> against his own homegrown hops. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? I think that's really fascinating, actually. So my background's a chemist, and I manage a R&D center, so I have access to, you know, whatever's in the lab and uh, use it to my advantage. Plus, I set up a home beer lab in my basement. It's taken over half the basement now, much to my wife's dismay, but um, <laughs> I can actually do a lot of that testing. Much to your wife's jubilation. Which well, she drinks your beer. She's, no, she actually hates my beer. She, what? She's the, you know, the uh, Duclaw Sweet Baby Jesus fan and <laughs> Killian's Red. And, you know, I'm always asking her, here, smell this. She goes, ooh, that's an IPA. Get it away from me. You know, it's, no, honey, um, it's uh, Oktoberfest. Yeah. Actually, this, that's the beer I brewed for her. It's the only beer that I brew that she drinks is the Oktoberfest. She likes it's, it. It's gone. Yes, that, that is why it is gone. That's why we're not drinking it right now. So that he could use half his basement for research. So it's funny. It's funny. This one Fair took third, work. right? This this is so how this is to show you how subjective these are, and you guys know this already. These contests are. It took third. You CTC. CTC is um, like garlicky and um, mm -hmm. very citrus rind, um, very strong and pungent, very in your face. Columbus yep. is how it's known, right? Columbus Tomahawks. Mm-hmm. They call for floral and medium. Um, they call for floral and spiciness. Mm -hmm. I can see CTZ as being a little bit of spicy, but nothing that says floral to me. Yeah, but if you put CTZ in with that low of a loading, like half half ounce or something, it's that, 60. that bitterness. Yeah, you're yeah, still, you get you're the still bitterness, and it offsets right. the sweetness of that Munich. And you don't put a lot of aggressive hop flavor in you remember there. How I don't well like florals in my Martins, so I just try to push the spicy. So I found that when you use CTZ, you put it in at 60, what remains is that little bit of bitey, almost all-spicy um, kind of note to it, which I don't know. I think it plays off the sweetness of the Munich. How well did it attenuate? Oh, that beer... Because Kolsch is usually a high-ender, right? Yeah. Um... After storage, that beer came in at the uh, 07. So. Dried right out. Mm hmm. Nice. Started so, off at a 67, if that gives you an idea. I mean, yeah, it's, that's a, it's pretty up there. It's got a little 7 bit of 7% alcohol in there. <clears throat> and you took second. So, extreme. A little extreme on color, hops, and alcohol. And it took third. That's one example. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you sharing your information with us. We're going to move on to darker lagers now. Um, I'm getting some kind of hand signal from my producer. I don't know what the fuck that means. Pointing but, a key. Okay. Oh, so, I thought you were going to backhand Warren for a second. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was coming, too. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop moving. Uh, Keith, um, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I know you were on when we did that Sweet Baby Jesus podcast. I saw the face that you gave when... When Bill was saying, no, we don't want to be these. <laughs> um, so why don't you give us a little hint? So you took table two, third place with your Vienna Lager. A very similar beer to a fast beer, but very different as well. So um, why don't you give us a little bit of background of what you decide, why you decided to do that and what your recipe was. Well, this was actually the first lager I brewed in four years of brewing. Not so much that I didn't have the capability to do it. I was just never really interested in lagers because I figured they took a whole lot of time to do. Huh? There's been some research lately on playing around with the fermentation temperatures on a lager. 
keep it at lager temperatures so you're about 50% attenuated then slowly bring the temperature up to about 64 65 degrees and let it finish out there so you don't have that you know month and a half long ferment on your primary ferment you know that and cold crashing and gelatin let me get away with it all in one vessel and I think it maybe took two weeks total from beginning to end well we're drinking that now it's in our cup and I'm looking at it and it's got nice a nice tawny flavor to it um, almost copper penny in color but clear as a bell crystal clear it's got a white to off white head that rings around the cup uh, when it sits for a while and then comes to when you shake it up again um, seems like it's a well-made beer I haven't tasted it yet but I've had this beer before and I like this beer a lot why do you think um, you were able to get to where you got to with this one well, a lot of it's water. Um, I know I have said previously that I don't advocate chasing specific water profiles based on an area. Mm-hmm. And Let me retract that previous statement. <laughs> well, not a complete retraction, but He's I figured... He's a flip-flop, but don't vote for him. If I was going to do a Vienna lager, I wanted to do an authentic... He was born in Canada. <laughs> Just kidding. I figured I'd do an authentic Vienna lager. I really wanted to stick with, you know... An authentic example of the original type of beer. Right. Um, the grist is nine, just about 90% Vienna malt. Um, the rest of it is um, flake barley, which I usually use in a lot of beers. Helps with body and head retention. And just a touch of the, the gold swain aroma malt to give a color and round it off a little bit. Really simple grain bill. Nothing fancy with the mash schedule. Single infusion mash. Uh, the big thing was I actually used uh, uh, the correct water style for a Vienna lager. Go into that a little bit. Vienna, the water in a Vienna lager is not very mineralized. It's it's a very uh, low calcium content. But what's strange about it, a Vienna a Vienna lager is supposed to be a multi style of beer. And conventional wisdom says, oh, you're brewing a multi style beer. You want more chloride than sulfates. Could you could you not have to look at like Vienna as a region and brew this beer to just what you just said just you know knowing that chlorides are in the water um, look up a lager profile and say okay so this is this is what lager should be made with can can you brew it with that or do you need to be specific enough to get to that point I had the same same questions yep. so I used the Bruin water spreadsheet a lot so I actually got in contact with Martin Brungard to ask him about the water profile for Vienna Lager. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you look at the regional water profile, it's actually fairly high in sulfates. Okay. Fairly high being a relative term. The, the levels are, are still really low. And chloride is very low. And he said, that is actually part of the style because a Vienna Lager is supposed to have a crisp finish. And that's what the sulfate gives you. It gives you like a dry finish to the end of the beer. Now, what, what kind of sulfate are you talking about? Calcium, magnesium? Calcium sulfate. Okay. What's the difference between magnesium and calcium? Well... Once you mix this stuff in the water, it breaks apart into its individual components. So if you use calcium sulfate, which is gypsum, you end up with a higher calcium count in the water. Mm-hmm. If you use magne- magnesium sulfate, you end up with magnesium and sulfate in the water. Magnesium is in bed as long as you keep it to a very small percentage of what's in the water because it gives the beer kind of almost a sour edge. Like a metallic twang, right? Kind of, yes. Uh, have you ever had, I'm sure you have and you were there when we had it, um, any kind of Brooklyn beer? 
yeah. and from from Brooklyn Brewery, they have a metallic twang to it. And I, I I would assume that that's associated with the magnesium in the water. Yeah, um, very well could be. Interesting stuff. Uh, so, so, what do you guys think of it? Um, yeah. So, why don't, why don't you we start down at that end of the table and talk about the beer? I mean, you guys are being so damn quiet, mousy. You're talking to Keith. Yeah, but we're talking to Keith. We're all drinking this beer. So, Keith, what do you think about it? Well, I think that it should be different. <laughs> Was that Keith? No, well, someone else at the end of the table. Someone describe the smell. Someone take it and describe the smell. I drank all mine already. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. We drank it. I guess that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I get honey right off. I get a honey aroma. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see where you're coming with that. There's um, something like a sweetness. Like I think that's the aroma malt that was used. It's really nice. It reminds me of like uh, opening a bottle of like Belvini Scotch or something. It's got that little. Yeah, you're getting that light malt, not necessarily car- caramel, but that malt sweetness. Right. And it was this was this with the Kolsch yeast? What this? No, this was done with the Vienna, uh, not Vienna lager, uh, Mexican lager. Yeast. A Mexican lager. So it's yeah. traditional. Vienna lager, because you know the history. You might as well right. go into that a little bit. I mean, um, why would you use a Mexican lager for some place in Europe? Well, traditionally, um, Vienna lagers are brewed in Europe, and then through immigration, a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> Conquistador! Right. A lot of the Spaniards moved into Mexico, and they wanted to make their lager-style beer in Mexico. They brought their yeast strain with them, and White Lab's um, Mexican lager is probably, from what I've been reading, the closest to the original European lager yeast they used to brew a Vienna lager. What is the uh, commercial brand? What's out there now? Negro Modelo. Yeah. Negro Modelo, sorry. The Negro Modelo's is a little too dark. It's that's the, that's their dark. I think it's really hard to actually find an authentic Vienna lager. Wasn't um, Corona supposedly originally a Vienna lager style and then they changed it to... Right, they started putting a bunch of corn and rice in it right. to uh, lighten it up. Make it a Fiesta lager. <laughs> so Eric or Dave or DJ or Adam, what do you think? Well, it's very easy to drink beer. I can have a lot of these during the day. Yeah, it goes down smooth. <laughs> Meets that poundable criteria. Yeah, yeah. It definitely does. Are you getting any off flavors on it whatsoever? Nothing I'm picking up. Okay. You guys are awful quiet, man. Uh, there's two things when I think of Keith. It's Vienna malt and water profile, and I think he hit both of these. <laughs> <laughs> I've often been cursed by Warren for uh, burning through his entire collection of Vienna malt in the store. <laughs> well, <clears throat> thank you, Keith, for sharing that information with us. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying this. Vienna style lager brewed by Grupo Modelo S.A. de CV in Mexico City. So it, it is. It's a Vienna style lager, but it's not a Vienna lager. I don't think there's a difference. One thing you'll find a recurring theme in this show is that I'm constantly barraged with trying to be proven wrong. Whether it's Matt or whether it's Carl, it's Warren, you're wrong. So just just keep that in mind. Just roll it. By the end of the show, you're right about everything. Because I'm I'm, I'm drunk. That's why. (laughs) 
might have gotten my point. <laughs> right on the nose. Um, so since we've drank the Vienna Lager, we don't really have the next beer in our glass. next beer that we want to talk about is Adam's. Um, I don't know if we want to take a break right now um, and fill up or we want to continue on through. I mean, we can continue on through. I have Adam right here. We'll just talk about it while you pour. Sure. All right. Which one it is, Adam? Oh, no, we, we, we don't have to. Actually, you need to get Keith's next beer because Adam said he didn't want to get hammered on his beer. <laughs> <clears throat> hammered as in talked badly about. But Adam, <laughs> since we have you on and since I'm talking badly about you right now, um, so why don't you um, tell us a little bit about, about the ghost. our next table was German <laughs> wheat beer, right? We had a bunch of German influx. Of wheat beers, and so we conglomerated every. We put everything together. We put the Dunkelweizen, the Hefeweizen, and any kind of Weiss beer in that category uh, to make up for I think eight flights or eight in that flight. So you took second, and you constantly tell me that that beer was terrible. That beer was terrible. That beer was terrible. I don't want to bring it in because I don't want to get barraged. That beer was terrible. It tastes good if you hold your nose. <laughs> so describe vice beer i mean you you made the vice beer you had to know what you were looking to get out of it uh, it was just for a long is, time uh, is sulfur a part of the vice beer I aroma i think you're gonna get sulfur if you're using a, a hefeweizen yeast but this was excessive um, excessive as in like egg farts excessive? yeah yeah um and you weren't able to get rid of that at all I tried. Uh, you know, it was pretty carbonated, so when I filled the bottles, I just kept filling it, and um, it was foaming up. And I think what happened is it was outgassing as it was foaming up. So those two bottles were probably really good, but <laughs> <laughs> everything else is not. <laughs> you said you made, what, 50 gallons of it for your wedding? No, I made 50 gallons of beer. I just made 10 gallons of that. And that went? That was gone? No, that, this is actually left over from last September. Because wow. I didn't drink it because I didn't like it. <laughs> and it hasn't changed over time. <sighs> no, not really. A tell us, tell a us a little, little bit little about bit. that beer, though. Tell us what you made it with and how you made it. And I Was just, it 50-50, 60-40, 70-30 th- with wheat? Uh, so it was uh, nine pounds of wheat, uh, nine pounds of Pilsner, and then just a quarter pound of melanoidin, which I think was your uh, suggestion. Um, so I used uh, White Lab's. Uh, 351, uh, it's the Hefeweizen yeast with a two-liter starter, and I, I kept it at, like, dead in the middle of the temperature range, perfect, and it still was, the whole building it was fermenting in smelled like sulfur. You could smell it outside. Like, I have no idea why. It's a defense mechanism. What was, the, what, was, what was the temperature that you were fermenting at? Do you remember? It was 68, and I, I think that wow. was, like, 66 to 70 was the range for that. That's weird. I would think anything lower would give you a sulfur count, but you might have gotten a bad batch of whatever that was. Maybe I that screwed would be, up the that'd starter. Be my only guess is that the yeast to begin with wasn't wasn't too great. good. Wasn't good. What what kind of yeast was it? It was a uh, White Labs three fifty one. It's I think it's the Weizen yeast chain. Is that the three fifty one? I think it's a I think it's a Hefeweizen yeast. It's not Hef four though. It's not Hef four. I don't think it's I think it's Weizen. I, th- I think it's just the maybe Weizen Bavarian thing. Hefeweizen. Bavarian Weizen. Is what it is. Oh, did I, did which I is a sulfur bomb. Oh well. Um, Next time, don't sell it to me. Back to Warren being wrong. Sulfur smell in one strain versus another. Sulfur is usually equated to the yeast output, right? 
Why don't you go Sometimes into that, Matt? Could, yeah, Matt. I mean, what, what uh, causes the salt? What is it? What's the yeast chewing Nutrient deficiencies can do that. I know with some wine yeast, like if you're right. doing a yeah. cider, you can get, they're colorfully known as rhino farts. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's one way of putting it. I think it's just their, you know, their their way, their metabolism. Because yeah. I know. I some know. are going to throw out different types of, or are going to make different amino acids than other ones are going to make, and they're going to be throwing out different amounts of. I know that all yeast have four vinyl glycol in them. And I know that hefeweizen yeast is the four vinyl glycol predominantly in it. I don't know if four vinyl glycol is sulfur though. That's more like phenol. I don't know if phenol is coming through yeah. as sulfur. Is it? Mm, so it's. I don't think so. Matt's Matt's had so it. Either, so. Matt, I think Matt and Keith have both had this beer. It, sulfury. Well, it's yeah, funny because I think I made a hefeweizen also a little while ago. I don't know if it was the same yeast, but that one. That one, I think we kept in a keg and were afraid of it. <laughs> that one is really That one, we, we, we dumped and the whole place smelled like fart. Well, it's like yeah. and fart and paint remover. And I love Hefeweizens, but this one, it's... Yeah, Hefeweizen is, uh, when you get a good strain, like the 480, the, the, the WP 580, is it? Or 480? I think it's 480. 380. 380. The, the Hefeweizen 4 strain is probably yeah. my favorite strain. Yeah, yeah that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. So, what, what were the parameters of your mash and, you know... What was your yield, and did you do well with it? I mean, it took seconds, so we're trying to give a little bit of tidbit about how to make it so people can make it if they want to. It, it was real simple. I did a you know a single infusion mash off the top of my head. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I, um, no, nothing special. This is before I started messing with my water profile. It's before, you know, this was really basic. Um, just... Uh, the judges pinged me for too much hops in it. So for um, 10 gallons, I used an ounce of Saz at 45, three-quarters of an ounce of Hollertau at 15, and then uh, I guess I had a quarter ounce left, so I threw it in at flame out. So that's probably why they, they pinged me for that. That would be all aroma, though. Yeah, I'm not sure if that – I'm wondering if the sulfur. sulfury sulfur. smell and the sulfur background just gave – enhanced the uh, – the hop. the hop flavor a little bit more than or just it should have because it doesn't sound like there's that much hops in there usually for well you're saying those amounts were for a five gallon or ten, for ten? that was for a ten yeah then i mean i think no i think my half of Ison is two two and a half ounces of hops for a five gallon you're talking somewhere around between 15 and 20 ibus on that level yeah that was probably a lot less so wait sulfur enhances so the sulfur areas? what Keith was talking about before yeah. with his, the sulfur-chlorine difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more sulfur you have compared to chlorine, it actually enhances the bitterness of hops. So you get if you don't have a lot of hops, it gives a crispness. If you have a little bit more hops, it enhances the bitterness of the hops. So the sulfur flavors that he could have been getting, plus other sulfurs that could be in the background there, could have just enhanced the hop bitterness level, making it perceived that there's more hop flavor in there than there, or more hop bitterness there than actually was through IBUs. They calculated IBUs was only eight. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. to be, <laughs> to be hoppy, that's a little uh, yeah, yeah, it was Oh, back down on the IBUs there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to kill me? It's guys like you, that's why we have hop shortages. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, nothing too spectacular about, like, anything outstandingly different than what your normal procedure would be. No, that was probably the most basic beer you, I could possibly make. I was going to say, because Hefeweizens are usually simple. Yeah. Very easy to make. How was your spar? Did you get anything stuck? Did you use uh, rice no, holes? No, I, I used a pound of rice holes, and 
maybe at the time, my, my setup caused some stocks barge problems because I couldn't throttle out. Um, but so it was probably it was not this beer. I was getting stuck barges all the time, but since then I fixed it. But yeah, nice. I'll always use rice hulls with so that it, much you know, wheat. Go ahead. What was that? No, I said I'd always use rice hulls with that much wheat. You do. You always use rice hulls. Yeah, I don't want to risk it. It's a bad day if it it's yeah. Stuck. It's it's not yeah. It is a bad day when you have a stuck barge. Um, one of my favorite styles, Hefeweizen. I drink it all year round. Um, but yours was a vice beer. Uh, didn't fit into a Hefeweizen category. I called it a Hefeweizen, but there was no category for that that I saw. Yeah, they just call it vice. That's right, because it's Dunkelweizen. That's the uh, yeah, the darker Bison one. and Dunkelweizen. We had another winner for the Dunkelweizen in that category. You took second. Dave Swisshelm of our group took first. Um, do you remember the score that you got? Yeah, it was low. I got a 28. 28. So I guess in that category, the vice beers or the judges didn't really perceive the vice beers as, as being extraordinarily awesome as they did the stouts. The stouts are all scored in like 40s. And you were on that table. Uh, yeah, I was. That was a pretty ridiculous table. The, the double X stout table was... Uh, <laughs> I think we had a mini best in show with four judges and <laughs> six beers were in the mini best of show. That person's DJ, by the way. I'm yeah, sorry. so uh, it got yeah, a little DJ, intense. DJ and Adam were, uh, you were both uh, stewarding yeah. the, the stout table, correct? I was stewarding. He was on the stout table. I was on the double X stout table. And they yeah, were, I had porters. Oh, porters, sorry. Those, uh, so I had around. a double X stout in there, and they ripped it apart. Did they really? Yeah. I mean... I got, I got the worst. I think I got the worst score on the table, and the, but the judge he did he uh, he marked <laughs> he marked Thanks, DJ. open the wound, Thanks, pour some DJ. salt right no, in I was, there. I was okay with it because I really I like see this Adam's beer. all dejected. Look at him, he's all sad. They, they, under technical merit, they marked flawless, and then they wrote if it was a black IPA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Too much hops again, huh? What the fuck are you doing so, with those? Yeah. yeah. So again, why. I don't have any hops in my fridge. As the saying goes. You enter the beer in what the category tastes like. Measurements? Yeah. yeah not I think the, I not the, the category problem. you wanted to brew. <laughs> yeah, those those two tables, I think, were the, probably the hardest, the stout and the double X. They're, they were really close. There was at one point, uh, there was like an eight-point difference in a stout category. So someone put like a 49 and a 40, or not, a 39 and a 30 on one. And I'm like, how the hell do you get nine points apart? But those judges were intense. That was an intense table. Yeah, there's only one from the double X table that I remember having a decent spread, and they had a the two judges had to talk it out a little bit. Yeah, interesting stuff though. It was a good experience. Was that your first time stewarding? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, it's and you know scores don't mean everything. Obviously, Um, it doesn't. It -hmm. just gives you an idea of where they think your beer should be. Um, It doesn't always determine whether or not you win a category or not. Um, so, but congratulations. Uh, that's a good accolade. How many were there in there on that table? Like eight? Of what? The, the vice. Yeah, I think there was more than eight. Or there was the more than six. I know that for sure. Um, oh, I, don't, I don't have it up. I think there was um, eight. From what I remember, there was only a couple tables that had six. But uh, other than that, I think, uh, I think you did well. Congrats on that one. Thanks. Um, back to Keith. Uh, with his ride lightning, and then we're going to talk to Eric of Vardy uh, with the house pail. I have to take a break. I have to make a phone call. So we'll be back in two and two.
So now we're back. We got uh, Keith with his ride lightning. Um, welcome back again, Keith. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for partaking again. Uh, what kind of beer is this? This is, this is a, blonde a blonde ale. Why is it a blonde and not a rye ale? Well, because uh, it fits the parameters of a blonde ale better. It was basically designed to be a sessionable, drink it every day kind of beer. And what category was that? Do you remember 18A, I think? Yeah, it should have been 18A. <clears throat> so there's a key point that you just made that you didn't know you made. Uh, making a beer doesn't always mean that what you're set out to make will fit into a category, correct? So if you're, oops, so if you're making a rye ale and you're looking to enter it, and you entered it as a rye, and you get scored very dimly. Next time around, you might want to enter it as a blonde ale because it might come in better because it fits that category better with the specialty grains being rye. Entering contests, if you want to win, is always a key about learning when and or where you want to enter your beer um, and what category you want to enter it. So um, thanks for bringing that up. I, I wanted to make that point. And you actually brought it on us. So give us a little bit of tidbit about the uh, blonde ale that you have. Well, it's a fairly based blonde ale recipe, except I decided to turn things around a little bit this time. And it's got about somewhere in the neighborhood of 12% rye in it. 6% malted rye, 6% uh, flake rye. Uh, the two different types of rye give you two different types of rye flavors. The malted rye is a little more earthy. <clears throat> the malted rye is a little more earthy, and the flaked rye is a little drier and more spicy. Now, there's usually not rye in a blonde ale, correct? Not so many that I've seen, no. So it kind of makes I, it I stand out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's different, right? It makes it kind of stand out a little bit. So, go ahead. Um, hops are fairly basic, just centennial. I thought the floral and like spiciness of centennial would work well with the rye. So that's what, what I decided um, to go with. What was the yeast that you used? This was Nottingham. Okay. And does Nottingham impart a little bit of a, a fruity character? Um, I don't think it would have with this one. I fermented this one a little on the lower side, maybe 63 to 64 degrees, okay. which keeps Nottingham pretty clean. Any spicy notes to it? Nottingham? To your beer. To, from the yeast, yeah. From the yeast? I don't I don't really think so. The only reason why I'm asking, I'm, I'm reading, as you can probably tell, I'm reading the BJCB guidelines for the Pale American Ale. And there are two categories. 18A is blonde and 18B is Pale American Ale, or Pale Ale. Um, and it says, you know, the varieties often exude uh, apples or fruitiness due to the yeast, and some may even put in a little bit of spiciness. Um, but I think that you probably achieved that through the rye, which is pretty cool. Little little go around, kept the yeast neutral, and then added an ingredient to make it a little spicy. Now with that, <clears throat> we have the the cup again. This, this is your rye, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit lighter in copper color than it's more like an orange color than copper um, from your other beer that we tried, your Vienna Lager. Um, well, this has a little Vienna in it as well. Okay. Gold. I'm getting, I don't know if it's because of the pour, but I don't have lacing around. Um, it might be because my cup was dirty or something, but I don't have any lacings or a ring around. There's no head, no head, there's no head retention on this one, <clears throat> but obviously it took. Well, all the cups must be dirty. A placement. Mm, fail. <laughs> no lacing. I'm getting, a I'm getting the rye sent through um, on this one. 
Mac, do you get that too? Yeah. I mean, as much as I can smell right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely getting a... The, the rye flavor comes through heavily, and I think another thing that should be mentioned is sometimes when you throw an ingredient in, the yeast may not normally make that flavor, the ingredient may not normally make that flavor, but when the two interact with each other and have different chemicals that come together, sometimes they create a whole other flavor that normally can't be created from one way or the other. Right. So I think sometimes, like... There is a spiciness in here from the rye, but there's also a slight fruitiness in the background, and there's also a citrusiness that comes through from the centennial. And I think the right. fruitiness comes through from a combination of the yeast and the rye coming in, right. and possibly even a little bit of the other malts and stuff like that. So, I think you hit it right on the nose because I'm getting everything they describe in this. I'm getting in my mouth. It's probably why it did well. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Very good style. Very good one. Now, if you were to brew this at home, Keith, who what kind of uh, what kind of advice would you give another fellow homebrewer who wanted to make this? Well, a lot of it is mash pH. That's that's huge. You've got to get your mash pH in line. Um, a lot of people ignore it and say, oh, if the water tastes good, you can brew with it and everything will be fine, but that's not always the case. How much did you have to adjust your water with this? Like, So you brew with RO water. You brew with a blank slate, basically, almost. Mm-hmm. RO is not completely blank, but it's blank enough to call it a blank slate. What did you use to add to this? What what was your profile on this? Uh, Do you remember? This one, <clears throat> this one was right out of uh, Guard spreadsheet. It was uh, yellow and dry, so it would have been a little higher in sulfates than uh, chlorides. And any is acid? Any kind of yeah lactic? Uh, I, I use lactic acid to get mash pH lined up on anything. Sure. And you don't need a lot of it. Do you know how much you use? Oh, less than a half a milliliter. It's not very much. With RO, there's no alkalinity to buffer anything. So it's pretty easy to get your mash pH in line. Interesting. And the only reason I asked is because we, we had a couple of winners down at the other end of the tables here with a Goza. And I don't think they used lactic acid. I think you guys used acidulated malt. Or did you use well, lactic acid? Well, my water's pretty alkaline. So we had to use enough lactic acid to get down to a safe range where we could put the lacto in and let it sit and not have to worry about any other kind of bacteria growing. Nice. So I had to use a decent amount because I have a ton yeah, of buffer. Yeah, I had to use a lot. Yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. The water's really hard, water. yeah. <laughs> or very uh, easy to break buffering capacity there with that yeah. water. Well, thanks, Keith. Thanks for sharing that with us. It's delicious beer. Um, next one online, we want to move down to the other pale American entry, which was... The American Pale Ale from Eric Ovardi, who placed third with his house pale ale. Thanks for coming, Eric. Thank you for uh, being here. Thanks for having me. What uh, what inspired you to brew just a regular pale ale? I, I wasn't brewing for competition at all. I was just brewing for something that I wanted to drink. Um, so I figured pale ale is nice and simple to make and gave it a try. One of your favorite uh, styles to drink is it just an easy drinking beer? What what kind of alcohol content are we talking here? And I'm actually very bad at keeping uh, hydrometer meetings. Uh, <laughs> I got my uh, OG as ten fifty six, but I did not take a final, so I'm not sure what this is actually at. So you you're close to five five and a half somewhere around there. Sessionable. Yeah. Maybe this will start. Maybe this will kickstart you into taking some more notes and yeah. paying attention to what you're brewing. Yeah, I mean, that's never been a huge concern for me. I just... Just want to drink. Just want Make to drink. Make a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I think the 90% of the people that are in this hobby 
or just like you. Yeah, and take notes in the beginning, and then once it's just about ready to drink, you're like, I really don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. This stuff is mouth. awesome. <laughs> and now, now you got now you got the ribbon to prove it too. So, yeah, that was a nice surprise for me. I was not expecting that. No, huh? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like, um, and I, I tell this to everyone all the time: take a beer that you have around, laying around that you're not drinking. Enter it. See what happens. See if you get a good feedback. See if you score in the high 30s or in the mid 30s or in the low 30s. If you break 30 or high 20s on a beer, you're doing something right in your brewing category. You are. Um, if you break 40, you're definitely doing something right. And if you if you come close to like 50, you might as well open up a brewery. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's pretty much exactly what happened here. You told us at the last meeting to bring in beers you had lying around and this is the only one I had bottled, so I figured it's a good idea to just try it. Congratulations on it. Tell us about the mash. Do you remember anything about it? Uh, yeah, it's actually a very simple mash. Uh, it's just three malts, two row, caramel 60 and caramel 80. Um, I just This was uh, the first beer I tried on my new system, which uh, I had, was a little bit of messing around with to try to figure out how to do that. But uh, I just let it uh, sit at 155 for an hour. And I uh, transferred it over. Just uh, any water profile or anything? It just went with what you I had? I went with my uh, house water, which is I know is very hard. And it was actually uh, a test with that, too, to see if that would even be good with beer. Because w- it was my first time making it with... I used to use uh, just spring water, which I didn't want to buy 20 gallons to make 10 at home. Very briefly, Keith, can you describe or tell us what hard means? Well... You got two different types of... of (laughs) No, and it doesn't mean that hard. We're not talking extends here. We're talking water profile. Two kinds of hardness. (laughs) So that's that's the only thing that's on Matt's brain. Matt who mentions his dick every single fucking episode, one way or another. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys know this, but Matt did a podcast, and one of the questions on that podcast was... Oh my God, no. If you're fucking a woman... Oh God. Right? And just you're just about to put it in. Rating for this episode. No. And it turns around and... Oh, no, you're, you're, no, no, you got this finish. all wrong. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> if you're in and you're just about to finish, and she turns around and you notice that she's not a girl, she's a guy, would you finish? <laughs> and Matt's answer was, oh, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> but of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> That's my dick. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry. To, uh, we already a little got bit there, of a so. tangent. <laughs> a little bit. Sorry to put that in your head. Yeah. Continue talking about hard. <laughs> okay, so there's two types of hardness when it comes to water. You've got temporary hardness, which is your alkalinity, generally speaking, if I'm remembering this right. And then you have permanent hardness, and that's your calcium content. Um, temporary hardness, you can actually reduce by boiling your water before you use the brew. It'll react the... Uh, I'm trying to remember the names of the chemicals here. I'm a little distracted. Calcium yeah, calcium carbonate will react with other calcium in the water and precipitate out as chalk in the bottom of the kettle, and then you can siphon off of it. And you've effectively reduced both your temporary hardness and your permanent hardness. The levels of either or will determine how far you can reduce your alkalinity by boiling. Generally speaking, I didn't feel like boiling, you know, 15 gallons of water every time I wanted to brew, so I just put an RO system in. Worked out being a lot easier. Easy to sell to the wife, too. Look, we can connect it to the ice maker, and then there's a separate faucet by the sink, so, you know, we need a big system. Look at all it has to do. 
<laughs> so if the everyday layman says I have hard water, what are they referring to? Usually when people are talking about hard water, they're talking about like using it around the house like soap. That's really where it comes from, the, the determination of how well soap makes suds with that water. Right. Um, it wasn't until much later when they started actually figuring out that there were minerals dissolved in the water, and that's what made it different. Um, nine times out of ten, if you've got hard water, the two go hand in hand. Your calcium is going to be high, and your carbonate is going to be really high. Okay, so that's when you... just the stones in the area. That's sure. Right. It's just where the water comes where from. Where the, the source of the water. Right. It's also the reason you get all kinds of mineral stains in you, on your shower heads and on yep. your, your CLR. toilet and everything else. Right. So, so you use your Swear house water. Did you stains. treat it with any kind of potassium metabisulfite? I didn't treat it with anything. I was just really hoping this would turn out well. Uh, guess and check method, kind of. And I assume you use uh, several different types of hops. I'm getting a Simcoe in here. Is there a Simcoe? Uh, yes, this is just Columbus and Simcoe. It's only two hop, uh, it's three hop additions, but uh, just two types of hops. It was uh, Columbus at uh, three ounces at 60 minutes, uh, 15 minutes, two ounces of Simcoe, and five minutes, another two ounces. But well, this is for a 10-gallon batch. Yeah. So I'm getting, Simcoe has a very signature flavor to it that you can pick out once you start noticing it. It's very grassy, almost leafy-like, green, leafy. Mm -hmm. But it goes well with your 60 and 80 edition. I think um, I think you did well here. It's, so the, describe the color there, uh, Keith. It's a nice copper color. I don't have much left in my glass, hard to gauge. But um, the clarity's pretty decent. It's a nice copper color. What chill haze I got. Did you use any Roflock on this? No, I forgot Roflock on it. Yeah. And uh, I was actually told it was maybe a little dark for the style. For I, pale, I, yeah, I can see that. I, but, uh, yeah, for pale, but I mean, if you, if you pale, clarify I mean, it. Pale can go all the way to just about amber. Right. I mean, I put Tony. this in. Pretty close to like a Sierra Pale is probably yeah. about that same color. Yeah, no, you, you yeah I, I would agree with you, DJ, on that. Absolutely. Yeah. DJ, I think, hit that right on the money. I think <clears> if it was clearer, it'd be close, very close to uh, Sierra Nevada. I mean, it's got like a slight little haze to it. It's really, it's pretty clear. It is clear. It's, it's not that bad, especially considering you forgot to put more flock in it. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the style guidelines allow for a little haze if you dry hop. Yes, they yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was no dry hopping, so... <laughs> Say you did. <laughs> Any other specialty thing you did with this batch? Um, well, the only thing is I did special this batch that doesn't come through with this beer is this is a split batch. I did uh, huh. half with ale yeast and half with lager yeast. Hmm. So the lager is actually still lagering right now. It's not ready. But I wanted to do a side-by-side -side comparison with the two, see how huh. it comes out. Very cool. And the only uh, other note I really got from the judges were maybe a little more... Uh, hop aroma to it so if i put some uh hops in flame out next time and that or with a dry hop yeah or with mm -hmm. a dry hop. i think dry yeah. hop would, would do you well on that so i'll probably make this again uh if i want to be more of style i'll drop the caramel 80 and add some uh either dry hop or flame out hops well done yeah very good i don't know if i dropped the 80 that actually i kind of like the caramel notes in here yeah Maybe reduce the amount slightly, but I don't know if I would drop the 80. No, I think actually I'd keep it the same. I would just yeah. do the wharf lock. It would just uh, clear, it up clear it up in the background a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, add a small dry hop in there. And I think you're good. Yeah, like I know uh, what Warren and Matt were saying before is the notes from the judges are actually really nice to be able to make this more of an award-winning beer than yeah. anything else. What... what what the audience at home can't see is that everybody wanted a second glass. Yes. 
I didn't get a second glass. Oh, yeah. It's because we drank it all. It's a really good, solid, drinkable pale. Mm -hmm. Like, it goes down nice and smooth. It's got a great hop flavor and aroma and uh, not too bitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, really nice. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. Kind of surprised that they would say you need more hop aroma because I'm picking up Simcoe like you would not. I was thinking the same thing. I thought that it had a pretty good nose judges, on it. So. Only thing that kind of knocks it down is I feel like these plastic cups don't help much. You know, no, I, I think I, I think one of the I, I think one of the big pro, or big things that the judges probably mentioned on this because uh, pale ale was the morning stuff, right? It's funny, yeah. The judges requested these cups too. No, but the the really? pale ale was the morning was in the morning. And yeah, that's correct. The biggest complaint we had in the morning was that the beers were too cold. And I think there may be an issue with that as to why the aroma Why the aroma wasn't there. Yeah. Down a little bit. Yeah. I, I stewarded this table. And the, uh, no, because, no, because of the, the beers being cold in the, fr in the fridge. They were pulling them out individually for judging as opposed to in the, in the afternoon. They realized that the beers were too cold, so they were calling out like half of their flight to let some of them warm up a little bit more. Which is what we should do next year. Yeah, I, th I think it was just the temperature of their fridge. So the, they, their fridge was yeah, held at thirty-seven. You know, you know darn well that next year they'll be. They'll say the lagers were too right. warm, right? Yeah. So. Yep, and, and and they'll also say yeah. so. To to your point, DJ, um, whatever the judges request is what we order. So it's like um, he said he wanted like soft, wide rim plastic clear glasses. <clears throat> I was going to get something different, but this is what they wanted, and this is what they judge out of. Which I can see your point. I mean, I, I think it's too wide. It doesn't really capture. It yeah, doesn't was, focus anything. Yeah, I was definitely doing some cupping with my hand to get a... When, when I was stewarding and afterwards, you know, the judges, are, when they're basically done, they'll ask their stewards and they'll give them a chance to, to try it. So I was doing that in in the same cup. And then between that and then... These don't seem as bad. I don't know if some of the ones we had at the one table... And they weren't complaining i just noticed it but i felt like they were almost like off gassing a little bit i was getting a lot of plastic smell so it almost felt like it was hard to smell right. the beer could have been that they you know come straight i mean they were uh, they they were in the possession here yeah but if that's what they wanted and i didn't hear really hear any complaints so so here's one of the things that i know but that'll that change the, next year too i'm sure right. yeah. I, I noticed one uh, one of the tricks that the judges did was so these these cups just for the audience's sake are i don't know eight six eight ounces they look like almost like plastic cocktail glasses, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, but they are—they do have a soft lip on them, um, as Warren described. But what I saw some of the judges doing is take basically taking two cups, inverting one on top of the other to capture the essence and like you know as the aromatics were coming off of it, and then quickly sort of lifting the the, the cap mm -hmm. the cap uh, cup off, you know, taking a good whiff and putting the cap cup back on again. I guess that's you know one way to capture the aroma. Yeah, depending on style, you can tell you know which judges have judged a lot more before to. Right. Be able to judge that specific style. Yep. You might not do that for certain styles of beer, but when you're judging a pale ale or an IPA category or something, you know, that's yeah. important. And, and you know, some of these judges, I mean, literally would have their nose in the cup for, it seemed like an eternity, you yeah. know, to, you know, cupping their hands around the cup and getting it all up in their business for, uh, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, they're taking a good long whiff. They must have been hell in the 80s back in the cocaine era. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> very, it's good, good, good job, Eric. Very good job, Eric. Yeah, very good summer beer. Um, <clears throat> next on the list, we have David Lewin, who is, uh, who's been involved in brewing with our group for about three years now, right? You're, uh, yeah, going on my third year. Going on your third year. Um, tell us a little bit about what you won with. This was a big beer. This one, I think you made this last year, no? Yeah, this has been, uh, I brewed this in uh, March of uh, last year. 
So it's been uh, it's been aging for about a year. So it's a good thing to age beer then when it's that high in alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I hit uh, just about 11% on, on this one, on this triple. It's on the, the high end of the range for, for its... Uh, for the classification, it was right right on the line between a triple and a, and a golden strong. Tell us a little bit about the malt. Malt, well, pretty uh, pretty basic, uh, mostly pilsner, uh, about seventy percent, and uh, I got about uh, I don't know six percent of uh, crystal ten, and that was pretty much it for the uh, for the malts. I mean, I had some uh, some table sugar as well. Table sugar definitely helped dry out and boost your alcohol. Well, how much table sugar did you use? Well, I used about seven pounds. This yeah. was a uh, t- <laughs> ten-gallon batch. Ten-gallon batch. <laughs> well, so that, damn. Yeah, so that, that, kicked, that kicked it off, and that de- definitely three and a half out. pounds. Like I haven't gone over three so for five. Three and a half pounds. Three and a half pounds. And that helped dry it out. And you, what, what did you place on this one? Uh, second place. I think the With first forty-two points. Second yeah, place. forty-two. Points. I mean, geez. I helped. I I helped steward that table, and obviously it's all blind judging. So I didn't know it was Dave's beer at the time, but it was extremely close decision between Dave's beer and the beer that took first place. It was almost a coin flip for the judges. It was really interesting to listen to them talk it out. And the first place one was a double, right? Correct. Now I remember they had taken what was left of your bottle. And they were running around telling everybody, you've got to try this, you've got to try this. This is fantastic. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. No, they, they really were. They, they, they were. They were like everybody. Oh, they everybody try this beer. Everybody must try this beer. They were really, they were really excited by it. Wow, that's, that's great to hear. It was, uh, it was one of my, um, actually my first triple that I had ever uh, I've ever brewed. I brewed up a, uh, like I said, it was a uh, double batch, you know, 10 gallons, and I uh, split it. Uh, and upon fermentation, I used two different yeasts. So the the yeast that won was uh, White Labs uh, WLP 500, and that uh, that attenuated real well, dropped it down to uh, 006. And uh, the other yeast was um, T58. Was that uh, mangrove? Mangrove? Jack? No, that's, that's uh, uh, fermentus. Fermentus T58, and that uh, didn't dry out as much. It was a little sweeter. So I got you know I got the uh, interesting. Profiles from two from two yeasts from the same batch. Did you enter both of those in? I did not. I did not. I only I only entered the uh, um, the one that was fermented with the uh, White Labs because I didn't because uh, would have been interesting to see if you could have entered in as a strong and a uh, and, a, and triple. a triple. Yeah, it's uh, it didn't attenuate as well, so I think it wouldn't have done well in its. It didn't hit the style. You know, at O twenty two, I think it was way too sweet. I think you made a fatal mistake. Not entering it. Yeah. I think um, being hesitant about sharing your beer, even if you think personally that it sucks, is a bad move. You get good feedback from everybody. And I'm looking at Adam because I'm, <laughs> I'm disappointed that I don't get to try his sulfur bomb. I'll bring it next time. Um, <laughs> again, I, after the fact that I, now that I know this was Dave's beer, those judges, the one little thing that they picked out of it, it was like an... It, it, they said that it could have been just a touch drier to be perfect for the style. And that's kind of was like the little tipping factor why they went with the double for first place and, and Dave's triple for second place. Yeah, yeah, I think they actually preferred this beer. Oh, like, yeah. They, to drink, they to, preferred it. They did. It and then quite. they said, well, we got to nitpick something. Mm, maybe it's slightly too sweet, sweet, even though we would drink the hell out of this thing all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't drink too much of this. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
This this would go in the tripping hazard category. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) We started out really high with this one. Obviously, seven pounds of sugar is going to boost your um, OG pretty high. Are you in the 1100 range? No, actually, it was um, because it was such a large batch. It was was, uh, 085. 85. And what did you dry out to? Uh, Six. With the with the 500 and 22 with the uh, T58. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, big yeah. big difference between the two the two yeasts. I mean, same temperature, you know, during fermentation. Mm-hmm. When uh, you taste the one with the T58, does it taste distinctly sweeter than this? Yes. Yeah, you can definitely pick it up. More bubblegum flavor out of that one. A little more bubblegum and a little spicier. Hmm. <clears throat> is yeah, that all the sweeter one? All all bottled and Cajun corked like this, or yes. is it okay? Okay. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the, the, uh, this is the last bottle for oh. this, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That is a, yeah, that is a, that's an occasion then, guys. Say if that yeah. very sweet good. stuff wasn't in uh, all bottled already, if it was in the keg, throw a little bread in there. Yeah, and sour it. Next time. That's the spirit. <laughs> Pretty high up. <laughs> Next time. Exactly. All right, so moving on. Dave, thank you for your triple. Very, uh, very quint... Fantastic. Very good. Thank you. Clear and gold in color. Um, stark white head that lingers uh, with a ring around it, and when swirled, comes to fruition. Um, very clear, uh, but it does. It has this sweet finish to it. Just a little bit, like a little too much fruit. for, for mm-hmm. glass. Very much like a, like a, almost like a grape, almost like a white zinfandel. Burn in the back end, but not yeah. tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you do your table sugar addition? Boil. I boil. End yeah. Boil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good though. Very very high in alcohol. I think it's one for sipping, not one for chugging. Yeah, not for chugging. <laughs> well done, Dave. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Not poundable. Not poundable. <laughs> since since we went with um, with Adam right off the bat here. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, Dan, DJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, your Goza? You guys won for historical and wild, so there was thirteen entries in this category. Oh, awesome! I didn't realize that historical got roped in with wild too. Yep, historical and wild. So you guys took pretty good. Um, second place, a very good Goza round. Um, <laughs> very catchy name. I like it. But give us a little bit of um, a little bit more information about this goza. Um, it's a fascinating style. I mean, it's just coming up. Yeah, lot. it is. Um, I think I said earlier. I had first. I think the first time I had it was almost like two years ago. I was up in in Portland, Maine, at a Rising Tide, and they had one. And they're like, "Oh, we got this beer." And the, the lady giving the tour wasn't a brewer, so it was kind of a generic tour. But she's like, "Oh, they use like some of the sea the seawater in the beer." And I'm like, "This is going to be horrible." And then I tried it. I'm like, "This is awesome! Like, I need to make one of these." And like I said, it took a little convincing to Adam to try to do a sour. But uh, I so- want a lactic acid, or lacted, lactobacillus in my brewery. It took, a, it took a little convincing, but the style itself, uh, as Warren said, it's in the historical category, which there's a, I don't know, what is there, like six or eight different beers in that category, technically? Yes. And then uh, they're all either beers that aren't made commercially anymore, or they had stopped making them at some point, and now they're 
possibly having resurgence. So this beer, I think, historically came out of uh, Germany, and the area it came from had very salty uh, water. So that's where the salt came from. And then other than that, it's basically uh, a wheat beer with some coriander and salt. It was pretty easy to make, um, minus the... Minus the sour, the kettle sour side of it. But from a recipe standpoint, it's simple. We did a 60-40 um, uh, barley to wheat ratio. Um, and we used, uh, what did we use? Where'd it go? Two-row and a little bit of a Pilsner and a little bit of two-row because we had some laying around. And, of course, a pound of rice hulls. Hop-wise, this style is super low IBU, so we used two ounces of Hollertau. Um, at 45 minutes, and that was it. So our, our IBUs came in uh, just under 12. And uh, again, this style is a pretty low um, alcohol style. It's pretty uh, sessionable. Ours came in right around six, uh, 4.6%. I think the style goes up. It goes from like low threes to like 4.7. I think it tops out around. 4.2 to 4.8. There you go. So... Um, for the kettle sour was the interesting part. So basically we did our normal mash like we would do with any other batch. And then um, we drained off our mash into our boil kettle. And we had made a one liter starter with uh, lactobacillus. Um, we used, I wrote it down here somewhere, uh, the White Labs um, 672, their lacto uh, brevis. So I made a one liter starter of that. So after we drained off our mash into our boil kettle instead of boiling it like we normal, normally would, once we got down um, to a temperature range, we were looking 95 to 100, we were adding uh, lactic acid to drop the pH down, as Adam was saying earlier in the show, because we wanted to get the pH down below 4.5. That way, any other bacteria or any other bugs basically don't like growing down that in that range, but lactobacillus does. So it was just kind of a safeguard so we wouldn't get any other funky stuff growing besides what we wanted to. So once we were there, we got our temperature down to around 95 to 100. We pitched our uh, lactobacillus starter, and then we purged it with a little bit of CO2 and let it sit. And I think it took all of 24 hours, really. I pitched it Friday night, and then Sunday morning we boiled. So Yeah, maybe 36 it, it dropped from uh, 4.5 to, I think it was 3.5 by the end, yeah. pH. So the, the, the bacteria did a good share of the work. And then uh, once we got to the pH and, uh, level we wanted, you know, we did a little tasting along the way to make sure we were tasting how acidic it was getting. Once we were where we wanted, we threw the boil kettle back on the burner, turned it on and boiled, so we killed all the bacteria. Don't have to worry about it growing in our fermenters. And then we did a normal boil, as we would do a normal, our normal boil. Yeah, that was pretty did much it. Did you put a blanket? I've heard people put a blanket of CO2 on the kettle when they do this. Is that what you did? Yeah, we purged it. Um, we have a, a sight glass on on the kettle, so we actually our CO2 uh, CO2 line conveniently fits right on top of that. So we actually purged through the sight glass, so we came up through uh, through the wart and and left a blanket on top, and uh, the lactobacillus. Uh, works with or without oxygen um, 
so in the presence of CO2, and we were helping keep other stuff out of there, and the lactobacillus doesn't really care, basically. So. And what was, I'm sorry, I remind me, what was the final yeast you ended up using on this? Um, we used the uh, White Lab's uh, German uh, Kolsch. <coughs> used the, the 029. You guys didn't use any coriander or anything like that? No, we, uh, yeah, so in the boil, we had a half ounce of coriander um, crushed. And a one ounce of salt to get the saltiness that goes along with the style. Coriander seems to be like the key ticket, that and the salt. Yeah, and that's... Of course, lactobacillus as well, but those two ingredients... Are Without the coriander and salt, it's it's pretty much a Berliner Weiss. Right. So this was a 10-gallon batch, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. All those numbers were for 10-gallon batch, yeah. So nice, uh, nice clear beer. Uh, bit of chill haze, but that's going to be because of... A lot of wheat. <laughs> a lot of wheat. Um, you got nice white lacings on the side. Uh, a ring that is constant, and when swirled, is persistent. Um, golden color, and the smells that I'm getting off of this. I'm getting like um, palm fruit. Go ahead. What are you making fun of? Nothing. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Tell me. Thank you, bro. <laughs> Palm fruit um, right up front. Where, uh, a lot of coriander up in the nose. And sourness. Like someone puked in my mouth. <laughs> um, Does that happen to you often? <laughs> it happens to me. Like I puke in my own mouth. Oh, okay. Typical Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> We've all puked in our own mouths, haven't okay, we? But you said but someone puked yeah. into my mouth. <laughs> That's because I'm taking a sip of somebody else's beer. Oh, I see. Oh... It's nice though. It's crisp. Yeah. It's refreshing. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's almost like, um, and this this may sound sauerkraut. It's almost like a sauerkraut. This would go really well with like rotten um, and some kind of uh, bratwurst. Very well made, clean sour beer. It's the, cra- like a- it's the craft drinker shandy. Yeah. Is this, is this officially a, like a lawnmower refreshing? Oh, this, this, oh, yeah. This is. Uh, it's got electrolytes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. electrolytes, so you be out on the lawnmower all day and stay hydrated. What brewer's great? <laughs> I'm glad you got that. You guys decided to make a plain coriander salt. Why not use fruit? Uh, we just the one I originally had was was a plain. I know a lot of styles that are coming out now have some kind of fruit mixed in, which is not uncommon for the style from reading historically. It's similar to like the Berliners where they'll add some kind of a, a fruit, like a syrup or a reduction to it to sweeten it up a little bit. But I really like the plain and we want to try that first. The first time I do a beer, I kind of want to do like the generic style and make sure it's you get it right, clean, and then you mess with it. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, like with you the pale ale. You know, you get that right first and then you mess with it with the waste beer that we aren't able to try (laughs) (laughs) don't get it right just don't show it to anybody no very well made thought it was right thank you for bringing (laughs) this they were wrong Um, it's just nice because it's not overly sour yeah those that know me know that i do not like sour ales and i don't like to make them but this is a style that has intrigued me it goes further back than most beer styles um, there are, like you said, I think there are seven different styles in that category. You were up against a Lichtenheimer. We were. Uh, which is a smoked uh, sour beer. Yeah, it's just basically the same beer, except take out the coriander, the salt, and, 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 use, smoke. and, and use smoke malt. 
Very that was a very good beer. It was very good. It took first. You guys took second. We're actually brewing one now. Yeah, we actually brewed our own Lichtenheimer that wasn't ready for the competition. And then how'd that turn out? It's it's pretty good. It's carbon right now. I'd like to try that. The Lichtenheimer that took first in the historical category ended up taking third. Third and best in show. Third and best. Yeah, third and best in show. So we're we're okay with getting beat out by somebody who took third and best in show. So. Yep, I mean, out of 161 entries, that's pretty pretty fascinating. Um, and then, you know, you guys are in the likes of this historical style, which is pretty fascinating when you think about it. pre-prohibition porter, pre-prohibition um, pilsner. And yeah, there's a lot of farting going on. No wonder why your fucking beer smells like ass. <laughs> no, this asshole's burping chicken wings in my face. <laughs> ah, <here>. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Your kisses may sound chicken wings in that beer. <laughs> <laughs> your kisses may sound different, but your breath still smells the same. Um, so you know, being with those historical styles, um, it's pretty fascinating to see that these new, exciting beer styles that are not new but old, exciting new beer styles are coming out, and people are liking them. And new again. Them, so what's old is new again. Yep. Congratulations, guys. Thank you. Um, and last but not least, uh, we're gonna go with uh, our good friend Bill. Um, who took second with his American Porter. Um, and this one, um, this is the one that won a couple of contests. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go get it. Way to be on the ball. Yeah. I thought you were going to take a break. Yeah, I mean, we were drinking some Well, we are taking here, a break you know, now, so we'll be back. Around. What? Bye. <laughs> This this beer ended up in the fruit and spice category. Did you use fruit for this? Did you use spice? Well, how'd this end up in fruit and spice? Got spice. Wait a second. Nice. Get to the right page. Nope. No, I'm sorry, porters. You're right. <laughs> yeah, see, it's down here, fruit and spice. <laughs> up here. Yeah. Ooh, something. Uh, we're gonna take another break. <laughs> so, so <laughs> let me clarify. In stay in school, children. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. <laughs> Drugs are bad. <laughs> and as soon as these assholes stop. Oh, um, simmer down now, oh, Brian. Uh, <laughs> so even even the guy who handed me the paperwork said it was wrong. So anyway, so tell me about your porter. So this is a beer I've entered in a couple of different categories, and it's done well in every category. I entered it as a coffee stout. <clears throat> I've entered it as a porter. So with with that contest that you did last year, yeah. the one that was the worldwide contest, yeah. um, tell me about what that had to do, Well, <clears throat> what the contest was all about. 
it's a beer swap, right? So it's not professionally judged. There's no prizes or whatnot. You sign up, you pay an exorbitant entry fee, which helps to pay to ship these things. But your beer ends up in England, Australia, New Zealand, oh, wow. Germany, um, the United States, Canada. And it's just home brewers, and everyone brews a beer. You have to submit, I think it's like 12 bottles. And you get 12 bottles back of different people from your hub. And the higher you go, you know, the more beers you get back. So, like, you'll get beers back from East Coast Hub. You'll get beers back from East of the Mississippi. You'll get beers back from North America. You'll get beers back globally. And uh, this particular one, um, I hadn't been in before. So what they did was, like, a pre-qualifier. And you had to brew a beer. And they gave you guidelines of, you know, what they wanted you to do in this particular case, um, they wanted some sort of uh, specialty ingredients, not you know typically seen with a style or something like that. But it was pretty open. <clears throat> so this particular beer, I, I went with a theme, and the theme was honey. So it's honey malt. It has honey, and it has what's known as honey processed coffee, which is where they actually leave the hull or the pulp of the coffee bean on, and let it kind of rot away. Um, before they roast the beans and it gets real sticky and honey like on the surface and it's supposed to make the coffee a little bit more aromatic um, that's some good expensive coffee you've, you've used in your beer there yeah <laughs> so that's it's very stuff. it's really hard to get coffee it, at it least is. it wasn't digested by cats yes <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a hard to get coffee um they let it sit out yes cat shit coffee yeah. yeah and they make the coffee it's out the most of it. expensive so coffee there is yeah, yep. supposed to be the best Civet. coffee there is but this is, you know, this is just up there too. I mean, rotted coffee beans. Well, they let it sit out through the monsoon season, and the rain washes those hulls off as they rot away, and it just gets really sticky. Um, the bean, if you make coffee out of it, it's a really like um, herbal kind of coffee. It doesn't have like those heavy bitter notes. It's it's milder. Um, so I took a, just a nice heavy porter or stout and added honey and coffee and honey malt and. Um, you know, thinking the whole coffee thing, called it dark ritual because that's my morning dark rituals to blue big black pot of coffee. And, um, what were the grains on this? Oh, it's got a ton. So you had, did you use roasted barley? Yes. Black malt. It has pale malt, victory malt, roasted barley, flaked oats, honey malt, chocolate malt, crystal caramel 80, aromatic malt. No black. And black patent malt. It's got flavor. Yes. <laughs> it's got a with what the fuck is this beer? It's got a pound of honey. It has East Kent Goldings, Fuggles, Brambling Cross. Challenger. Coffee at seven days, and it was like a cold processed coffee. Mm. And then it's got uh, Nottingham East. Can you tell us a little more how you put the coffee in? I'm curious because I, I had a coffee cream ale in, in this competition, so I'm curious how you got your coffee into your beer. So I. Uh, <laughs> I cryogenically froze the coffee. <laughs> all right, all right. Never mind. I don't want to know. Nobody else can do this. Of course, he's like, I just got a tank of liquid nitrogen in my house. It's cool. So I froze the coffee, um, and that's exactly what I did. Is I froze it in liquid nitrogen, and I pulverized it to a powder, and uh, I added it to cold water, and just let it sit in the refrigerator in a jug. And uh, after about five days. Um, I went and I stuck it in a centrifuge and spun all the solids out. <laughs> <laughs> Another easily accessible home accessory and get your own centrifuge. And then I added the coffee to the secondary. Um, and then you... 
Now you're going to tell us you traded some pinball parts for some uh, uranium took, too, right? We took all the oils out of the coffee using... You organically separated them. By yep, organically <laughs> separated by uh, light spectrum, spectroscopic, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You can't organically separate it through spectroscopy. <laughs> Good try, though. Just sounded smart. <laughs> sounded like you were right until you opened your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, this is what happens when the homebrewing hobby becomes just a bit too much. Oh, honey, I need a centrifuge. Honey, I need some grass gas chromatography. Honey, liquid nitrogen. Where can we get that? Dry ice. I mean, Jesus. That Christ, super, in the supermarket, maybe. <laughs> Switch you pulverize it. How'd you pulverize the beans? <clears throat> I just put them. I have a sample. <laughs> I ran them through a sample mill that's meant just to do that. It's meant to powderize things. <laughs> <laughs> While they're cold, that's awesome. So it just it, you freeze them and then you pulverize them, and it, it takes it down to dust. Yeah. So, so what was the reason that you did all that? Because I've heard that coffee can tend to put like almost like a green pepper flavor mm-hmm. into beer. Is that the reason that you? Yes, it can. Because I got those same notes on my coffee cream ale yeah. that it got a little green peppery. So that's why I so, asked. <laughs> Warren will tell you I come walking in here all the time with stupid things I'm doing. You know making teas out of hops, extracting hop flavors. And um, so I literally played around with ways to get the flavor I wanted out of the coffee without it being bitter, without it being, you know, too abrasive, too astringent. Um, And I don't know, this was probably the result of about 20 different tries of of how to, to work the coffee to get it just the way I wanted it to be. So, well, what would you he, recommend for someone at home that doesn't have all those fun toys and wanted to get some coffee into their beer? Cold brew. Yeah, cold brew. Mm. Okay. Yeah, how, did, crush how did you go In very clean do? water. So, yeah. I cold brewed, but I actually used a little bit of my beer instead of water. That might have actually helped extract a little bit of that green pepper flavor because of the alcohol. Yeah, the alcohol. It might have. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I just used really clean filtered water. It wasn't the ionized or anything, but just good clean water. Um, and um, just sat in the refrigerator, you know, seven days. And really that cold process, I noticed a big difference when you, you cold brew the coffee versus hot mm-hmm. brew. The hot brew pulls a lot of tannins and I think and whatnot out of the Yeah, a lot of the cellulose. And, and, then, yep. and then in the cold beer finished, you get like almost a stale coffee note from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big difference between cold brewing, hot brewing, steeping grinds in your final grain or steeping whole beans in your final grain i mean you get totally different coffee flavors out between all those and this is a beer i, I personally like more the longer it sits now there's um, there's a really interesting flavor that comes through in this i mean it's it's you have that portery stout heavy flavor to it but you have that coffee flavor in the background but there's also that sweet aspect to the side that's almost like a malt flavor coming through i mean you said you have the honey malt in there which is very different than you normally add into a stout but you also have a little bit of that honey flavor in there as well. and I mean, it's it's definitely a twist on any other stout that I've had before. So, quite good. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> quite good. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the beers that was funny, too, because this is one of the beers that shocked me um, going into this. I, I found that comment-wise, this is a beer that judges either love or hate. And, yeah. you know, I came out of it, what, do you have the sheet there, Warren? 40, 41 points or something like that? I don't have the numbers. I just have who placed. Yeah, it's like 40, 41 points, I think, on this one. 
And they seem to, you know, both judges seem to like it. I think one was scored at like a 39 and one scored at a 42 or 43 or something like that. And the comments were all pretty glowing on it. And I don't know if it was, uh, I didn't pay attention to where this one was seated. At least doesn't, I don't remember, but um, they seem to really like it. I've had comments on it in the past that, you know, maybe it was a little too strong or coffee was a little too strong, but I think it's reached the point right now where it's it's kind of in the zone. That's good. You took first in this category, right? Second. Second. Yeah. I didn't have the first place one, and I don't know. I, I know the person who took first, and they usually take first in anything they enter. Um, they're really good brewers. So, I mean, it, it's probably close. It's got to be by one one to two points. I can probably tell you, but I don't have that information in front of me. Um, what was the category again? It's Porter. American Porter. I, I can pull it up, Carl. I have it in front of me. I don't want to take the time to do that, though. But uh, describing this beer, I mean, you got you got some red ruby highlights on the sides. If you look at to the light, but it's pretty much black in color. Yeah. You got tan to almost like a, um, a light brown foam that's constant. Um, the ring is constant, um, persistent. Got legs on the sides, very thick, viscous. Coffee aroma, I mean, would anyone disagree? That's Coffee good. aroma right up front. There's a lot of coffee. Um, and then a very nice uh, thick mouthfeel and creaminess in the, in the end when you, when you swallow. And um, very much so coffee-ish. I get a lot of coffee out of this one. When I first had this, it was all over the place. It was coffee, honey, porter, hops, everything. But now it seems to be really coming into a blend of everything together, which time does in a bottle. So this was in your gag? This? No, this was bottled. <clears throat> bottled and bottled condition. Bottled in a growler? No, bottled in 22. Did you bring a growler? I did bring a growler. You popped the 22s into the Pouring growler? Into a growler, yeah. That's a little backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I popped the bottles into a growler to bring it over tonight. Um, okay, it worked. There's no disguise that there's coffee in that. No, it's it's a coffee porter. It's a coffee porter, coffee stout. It's very similar to yours, from what I recall. I mean, there's a fine line between the coffee flavor and that green pepper flavor. There's very, very fine line. No matter what you do, there's still that chance that if it was one ink linked over, it, it'd be green pepper. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mine definitely had that green pepper, but that's I brewed that back in... That was a good beer. October, I had that, that night. That was you, a you good did. Beer. I had I brewed that back in October, November for my wedding back in December. So it's been around, and cream ale's not generally not style you leave sitting around. I just happened to have a couple bottles, so it's right. like I'm going to enter it. Um, I enjoyed it. It was still good, but it was definitely way less peppery. Even the coffee aroma and everything you got off it when it was fresh was really nice. The sitting, I think, brought out the, some of that peppery notes. So it looks like you went to a mini best of show in your category. So somebody want to explain what that means? So mini best of show is when they take their top, say there's 10 beers in a category, they'll take their top five of what they think are the good, and have a, like a, a best of show in it. And the best of show is basically 
they all agreed to disagree. <clears throat> they agree that this one's no good. They agree this one's, and by process of elimination, they'll get the first, second, and third place. So you could potentially have a 35 of a score, and someone else have a 42, and you can win first with a 35, and the other person, 42, could fall off the wayside. Yeah, the, score, the scores, scores don't, don't, mean don't shit. change in the right. Mini Vesta show. Right. Yeah. The scores don't mean anything, so... Um, in this category, there was four judges, so they did. Uh, there was five beers. Two sets of judges got five beers. The two sets of judges got six beers, and then they each submitted two to the mini bestest show. And then what they did is they just rated them one through four and added up the scores. And that's that's how that worked. I, I stewarded this one too. So you did well. Mini best of shows a crapshoot. But thank you for sharing this with us. This is uh, definitely one to end the night with. Mm -hmm. um, well, best of show is a crapshoot, right? Well, we still have we still have one to end the night with. I don't know. Did you bring it? Is it what the mead? Yeah. I've got one bottle of that left, and and that's getting saved for a special occasion. Okay, I don't blame you. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> yeah, so keep move. Yeah. So, so, but to go to best of show, right? So, uh, Dave, you, <clears throat> your category, you had 40, 42? 42. 42, yeah. right. So there were a couple 42s in, in Dave's category. So whichever one went to the best of show, because he came in second with a 42, even though the other one was a 42. Um, the 42-point beer did not place first, second, or third, right? A 36-point beer won the whole show, right? Quote, unquote. 36 point beer so it's all you know you have to understand the subjectivity that's that's involved in all this you know you get a table of judges that tend to score lower or higher than others what have you uh when it gets to the end of to, to the best of show and matt why don't you describe that process because you were right there in fact you were having people trying to school you on it even though you already understood how it works <laughs> yeah i'll mention no names yeah <laughs> <clears throat> but uh yeah it's pretty much every the number number one winners of each one of the groups had a little spot on a piece of paper and uh, the judges went around and tried each one in turn and agreed whether or not this one should go on. And there was a lot of, uh, yeah, I can't decide on this one right now. Okay, put that one back down. And then they go to the next one. It's like, oh, no, this one, nope, definitely not going to be top compared to the one before it or so on down the road. And then you go from 20 down to 10. And you start slowly going back and the judges start talking again about kicking off bits and pieces. And I got to say, once, once they got down to 10, every beer that they were throwing out, uh, was fantastic. I was really surprised, honestly. Um, not that I would think that we don't have any good brewers around this area. I think we got some great ones, but for our first contest for our, our uh, for NJ Hops and for ourselves to uh, put put something like this together and to have 168 entries and for just about every beer that went into Best of Show to be a really fantastic uh, example of that style of beer was amazing. Uh, but it's all like like we said. It's it's subject <clears throat> it's subjective at that point. It's does this beer taste better than that beer to go forward? So it's the judges on the top. I mean, we had a master judge on there. We had regional judges on there. We had intermittent judges or intermediate judges on there. It was um, they're they're judged to their style, but they're also judged based off mainly flavor. So uh, when you're really looking at this stuff, it's you know, does this? Uh, what I, I remember when they got down to the Lichtenheimer uh, Berliner Weiss style beer, they're like, <laughs> they kind of looked around the table and goes, "Is 
anybody had a Lichtenheimer before? <laughs> like we've had a Berliner Weiss, and it says Berliner Weiss on here, and Lichtenheimer style says that it should have these flavors into it, so they were able to judge off that. But it was, you know, comparing... We're comparing a cider to a Lichtenheimer to an IPA. It's like those are the three most distinct corners of the categories you can kind of look at. Uh, and at the same time, they were able to judge them, comparing them to each other by based on their style as to how well they felt fit in their style. Is there any significant flaws within that? And then which one fit overall? Um, so it, it gets really difficult when you're trying to judge that many that many categories in a best of show. But uh, I mean, I tasting each one of those beers coming off i was i was pretty much agreeing with the judges as to how they were moving forward with it i felt that uh you know that the top three were the top three beers that came out that night and uh so so we had we had five uh, best of judge shows uh judges yeah um we had a level four national judge and a sensory training judge that's pretty up there yeah we had a level five master a level four national and two level three certified judges as our best of show judges so we had a really good table for bos um and to do 20 beers in the amount of time they did i think they did it in a record like 40 minutes i don't even think yeah it i think it was like one. 30 40 minutes yeah yeah it was it was pretty nuts and you're right they they would pick up one and be like one guy would be like ah this one i think we can all agree on and one guy would say nope i think i want to hold on to that one and then put it back down again it was pretty fascinating to see and uh, yeah the beers that were put through, and have an NJ Hops guy win second with cider. I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, amongst all the beer, cider took second. No, it's really crazy to see the top three beers. They they could not compare to each other in any which way, and yet <laughs> it was. I mean, people always say because an IPA did win. People are always like, oh yeah, IPAs always win, but it wasn't an IPA that won a pale ale that finished in like an American Amber Ale that got third or something like that. It was, you know, a cider and. Uh, uh, yeah, but Berliner Weiss with smoke, but a Berliner Weiss yeah, with smoked malt. For those who can't see the producer's face, he made kind of a sour expression okay, so, when he found out the IPA won. So okay, so here's your dragon then. Here, chase your dragon. Try to make an IPA that wins best of show in a competition. Do it. I can't. You can't. Can you? Can anyone here say they've done that? Nope. Nope. You know how hard that is. Quite. You know how many IPAs are out there right now? Yeah. There's thousands of them, right? So to make a beer that stand out amongst all others and be an IPA, that's how I feel about the cider. To make a cider that stand out on all other beers out there, that's a feat in of itself. That's amazing. It's an incredible feat. Um, I, here's, that, that was my point exactly, which is that it's like the market is saturated with so many IPAs and an IPA won the best of show. That's kind of, it's, it's almost trite at this point to me. And I, and I know that, yes, it was probably a very, very good beer. However, it's like enough with the goddamn IPAs already. Well, here, here, so that kind of digs at me, though, because you're saying to me that everyone who's judged these judging is now just saying, yeah, it's an IPA, so let's make it win. That's not the case. We have five, certi two certified, three national judges, and one with a century training and, an, and a master four. That is crazy to have some, those five people say all together that that beer beats every beer that was in 161 different beers. That beer beats everything. That's that's nuts to say. Point. I understand your point. Um, it's, and it's I'm not, not, I'm not even going to tell you. Like the way it almost seemed at the table was by the time they got down to the top three, they knew which was the winner. They, Both the flavor. They were they were judging off second and third. But I mean it. 
I mean, it was a good, it was a great beer. Yeah, it was I fantastic. Can't wait to have, I can't wait to have the guy come down and. Uh, That's going to be a great thing for the, for yeah. for this town to have someone have that on draft. I think that was a great beer to have on draft. Um, I would like to see some laws alleviated to to allow other things than beer at breweries be made, but. That's another. That's another yeah. whole another podcast, but you know to have. Did we even describe what the first place prize was? Um, Did we mention that last podcast I, at all? I no. think we mentioned it last podcast, but we didn't mention it this time. Go. So, I'm not going to steal your thunder, Matt. Why don't you go ahead and announce that? Oh well, the uh, the winner of the homebrew competition, Jason is, Chang. Jason Chang is it? Jason Chang. Jason Chang. Jason Chang. Yep. Is uh, allowed to come down and brew. Uh, his beer on my brew system. So it's not just my pilot system, a 20-gallon batch. It's a full 15-barrel batch of beer, and it will be put out. I, more than likely, I'm just going to try to sell it through the tasting room, but there's a good chance that larger uh, uh, restaurants and bars within New Jersey will probably get some kegs of that. Uh, so <clears throat> it'll be it'll be somewhere in the state of New Jersey, that's for sure, besides just over in Hackettstown. <clears throat> but uh, you know, I'll definitely have a good time brewing with him and... Uh, Hearing how he went through the whole process of his brewing, and I'm sure he's going to have a good time brewing on a big system. So. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic prize. Second place winner gets a conical fermenter and some gift certificates. Um, he's going to pick those up at the Big Brew Day on Sunday, which is awesome. Um, his name is Peter Ortiz. He's with uh, NJ Hobbs. And our third place winner won with the Lichtenheimer, um, which if which is relatively new to some folks. Some people that are listening probably don't even know what that is. It's a smoked uh, a, a smoked sour ale, for lack of a better term. Smoked malt in that beer. Yep. Um, <laughs> there definitely is smoked malt in that beer. You won with that one. He's from the DUH. Uh, he's from Delmira United Home Brewers down in uh, Maryland, so maybe I should bring that down there and meet him when he's at the NHC. His name is Shane Kelly. Um, so congratulations to all those big winners of the BOS, um, and congratulations to you guys that are here tonight. And thank you so much for coming. This is uh, this has been enlightening. I hope you had a fun time um, talking about your beer. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say before we leave and and get drunk after the show? <laughs> no. Thanks for having us. We don't we don't have to work tomorrow, yeah. do we? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <sighs> Work is you don't have to work. No. You've got nothing to do. Every day is a party. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your beers. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you um, for eating these fancy grade party yep, peanuts. Absolutely. <laughs> and they, they were sealed before they got here, so there are not no pee hands in the, in the peanuts. Ooh, that's oh, superior I, nut quality. <laughs> you know, you go to a bar, you take a handful of peanuts... Everyone else's hand has been in there. You should make a beer out of that. That could be a sour ale, too. <laughs> yeah, You could no. definitely propagate something off of that. Mm-mm, I, said we have, I said we have a club brew where we get a big blow-up pool, and everyone get in naked, and just put the beer and the wort inside that nakedness, I, and I they, fer, they ferment it with that yeast that everyone has. Oh, oh, oh. I think he likes oh, so wait, it. Are we, <laughs> are, we, are we using the water or are we just collecting the yeast? I'm confused at what no, we're using. No, we, we use the wort. We, we make a big, huge vat of wort, put it in the blow-up tool. Oh, I thought we were... I thought and then Warren's talking about a wart hot tub. He's going to inoculate with his <laughs> dick cheese. Okay, no, I, yeah, I, I was just confused. I'm starting a new chapter of Jay Hops. It's the no-nude beer chapter of Jay Hops. 
No, I think that would be interesting. It's like beard beard. Oh, it'd be interesting, all right. <laughs> Probably illegal oh. too. It's something that dog Probably should illegal. Do. Yeah. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> beard beard. We have belly button lint yeast that they're using now. They Super have that too. Oh yeah, supermodel vagina yeast oh, they're yeah, using now. I've heard about the vagina yeah. yeast. <laughs> That's pretty damn good stuff. They actually That's on the pretty damn. Good. <laughs> had the beer. That don't matter. <laughs> Good they have stuff. the date of the swab on every bottle. <laughs> <laughs> did, did the swab come with it, though? Did they get to attach the swab to the bottle? There's a pair of underwear in every bottle. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a new company, I think it's Wild Bottle Fish, Condition Wild on Fish Underwear. Or something like that out of Indiana. And that's what they're doing. Their, their whole thing is yeah, we prop- we're propagating be- yeast out of people's beards and all kinds of things just to see what we get. Vagina. The ones that, that come out halfway decent, we, we make it this special wild strain. That you no, there, there's, a, there's a vagina yeast strain out there. I forget what they call it. But they are making beer out of it. It's from like some Czech supermodel or something. I'm not even kidding. It's, no, he's not. It's he's, a real he's thing. Not, not, not kidding at all. Lacto, though. That's what they did. They were making sours. I thought it was a yeast strain. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I, no, anyway, it's not, we're no, done. It's not check sauce. Sure it it's it check snatch. <laughs> aisle seven. Can I get a price check on Vagi Clean? Vagi Clean on aisle seven, please, and make it a quick because it's a sourdough. That's me, my Berliner wife. Myself and Irene. You ever see that movie? <clears throat> it's a good movie. All right, guys. Thank you again. <laughs> um, and on that no. sour note, let's uh, let's get the flock out of here. Peace. Good night. Good night. Bitch. Just had to throw in this appropriate bitch. I didn't throw it in. At least it wasn't a dick reference. (laughs) Dick cheese. (laughs) There we go. Now we can close.
What is that thing? Make a barley wine and name it that. <laughs> Shorty balls? Head. No, tripping hazard. <laughs> <laughs> Your head, man. Starting sweaty balls. Yeah. <laughs> Be a good name for a goza, though. Sweaty balls. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Bill, could you talk on your... <laughs> Salty and made in the heat of summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh.